Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with WFIU WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. Chicago Cubs, of course, have made it into the Baseball World Series. It's the first time since 1945. They're hoping to win their first World Series championship since 1908. We're going to talk about the Cubs today, their long-suffering fans, and baseball's place in Indiana sports culture. We have uh, three great guests with us today. Chris Hagstrom-Jones is joining us from South Bend, where he is the Director of Creative Services and Promotions for the South Bend Cubs. Bruce Schumacher is Vice President of Corporate Affairs for the Indianapolis Indians. And Marty Pirat is a lecturer at the Caillou Kelly School of Business and an author of The First Black Red, the story of Chuck Harmon, the first African-American to play for the Cincinnati Reds. You can join the discussion by calling us at 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So welcome to all of you. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. Good to be here. All right. So Marty's in the studio, and Bruce and Chris are joining us by phone. Sarah's here, too. Sarah's been kind of making fun of me because it's the first baseball show we've done in all the years I've been doing this show, and I'm kind of excited about it. (laughs) I think it's good to see you so excited. (laughs) Yeah, and we're not talking about politics, which is a really, really good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I want to turn to all three of our guests and say, you know, what is it about the Cubs that gets everybody excited? And Chris, you work for the South Bend Cubs, so explain that Cubs mystique to us. Well, you know, uh, thank you very much for having me on the show. And, and one of the things for me is I've been a lifelong Cubs fan myself. So uh, when the former South Bend Silverhawks here in South Bend became a Cubs affiliate, uh, we had an immense fan support uh, that, that came to the stadium at the time of our announcement. Uh, people were lined up just to see the new logos, the transformation. And there's just there's such an emotional bond. You know, I, I, you could talk about it. You know, dating back to the Superstation WGN or even, you know, further than that, the, you know, they call them the lovable losers uh, a long time ago. But uh, I think there's just something about an underdog. And the Cubs have been the ultimate underdog for so many years. And South Bend's proximity to Chicago has obviously um, made that connection even stronger. Yes, there are some White Sox fans here. There are maybe a few Cleveland uh, Indian fans here. But we're predominantly a Chicago Cubs market. Uh, and I just love being able to see people walk down the streets wearing their Cubs gear, and you're almost in a, in a family, a bond, if you will. When you're wearing something, you know, Chicago Cubs, someone comes up to you and says, hey, go Cubbies. You know, I've met complete random strangers at the supermarket, uh, at the mall, and they're just, they'll talk to you about their lifelong passion and their heartbreak of the Cubs and their love of the Cubs. It's, it really is like a giant family. Mm-hmm. Now, Bruce, the Indians are not an affiliate of the Cubs. You're uh, the Pirates, correct? That's correct. We have the misfortune uh, as Pirates fans in Indianapolis uh, with the Indians of having to play in the same division with the Cubs uh, now, that, now that they're really good. So yeah. we actually had uh, the Pirates played them in a one-game playoff game uh, last year uh, in that wild card game. And uh, and uh, Jake Arrieta pretty much shut the Pirates down uh, without much of anything. So uh, that's a, that's an interesting division. You talk about the regional interest, but in in that in that National League Central division, you've got the Cincinnati Reds, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Chicago Cubs, and the St. Louis Cardinals, all in the same division. Mm-hmm. So is there is there a difference? And you know, I know you may have to talk carefully about this. Is there a difference between? 
you know, the Cubs as an organization and, you know, and all the following that they have in other baseball organizations? Well, you know, uh, he mentioned the, the Superstation, WGN, and, I, and I, there's a lot of reasons that there's a lot of Cubs fans in the world. But I think the early days of cable, when you could get Cubs games on a regular basis and you didn't have 150 choices of what you were going to watch, you know, there was, especially if you're going to watch a baseball game, they were on all the time. And, of course, the, the, the charisma of Harry Carey. And, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day. You know, back then, you know, people watched games from rooftops, but it was a couple of guys in lounge chairs with a, a case of beer. You know, and, and now it's evolved to the point where it's a professional operation where they have aluminum bleachers and, and you know, sports bars inside with flat screen TVs. So the whole thing has developed uh, just in, in my lifetime, even beyond what it was before. Mm-hmm. Marty, you're a, a, a Reds guy, right? Yeah, f- uh, full disclosure, that's a lifelong thing. And uh, it is, it's cool to be here in Bloomington and see the Cubs fans so happy especially my students um you know we have so many kids i think especially at kelly that are from uh, chicago area and illinois but yeah i go back with the reds I, I covered them when i was at the nbc affiliate in cincinnati covered the last time they won the world series in 90 um you know where i was around in the studio with the guys like johnny bench obviously pete rose i i went <laughs> I went to cover him when he was in prison. <laughs> I called his uh, 4192 for CNN radio. Uh, yeah, I go a long ways back. And, I, in fact, I still know some of the guys in administration there, and they're, they're probably not enjoying all of this right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm enjoying the Cubs fans and yeah. how much fun they're having. Well, from, from your time back in the 90s to, to now, I mean, has, has, has your view, not your personal view, but do you think the, the nation's view of the Cubs has changed? Is it just... Has this thing sort of grown as the Cubs continued to lose and not make I, it? I, I think it, it will change with what's happened and the great players like, you know, former IU star uh, Kyle Schwarber. It takes a while to get over that. You know, they used to say this about the Boston Red Sox all the time, and all of a sudden, bang, 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 they win three. Um, Cincinnati's had a, had a lot of success over the years. I think they won five. But they haven't won lately, so there's a lot of fans that are what's happening lately. And I would submit that a lot of these these Cubby fans weren't wearing those Cubby jerseys a cub, you know a few years back when they lost over a hundred. But hey, what the what the heck? Winning is good, especially now when America feels torn in so many ways. Let's get on some bandwagon, huh? Mm-hmm. So that's my question: is just are there more fair weather fans in Indiana since we really don't have a major league team of of our own? Can you just kind of jump uh, on a bandwagon at an opportune I would, time? I would say there's a yes, uh, because if you get whoever's winning at the time, you, I think you grow up in the old baseball. Is you get down into southeast southern Indiana, and that's that's Reds country. Don't even worry about it. You get down to about Greensburg or Batesville in '74, and you'll start you seeing Reds pennants and stickers. You go over to Washington, Indiana, home of the great Zellers, and you get start getting St. Louis. That's right, the halfway point. Then, of course, you get like a, a Greenwood or get to, get to the circle, okay? On the north side of the circle, around by the Columbia Club, it starts, be, it starts being cubby territory. And it, I think that's always been. But he makes a good point. Nothing like having a, your team on every day on WGN that helped in the 90s. With the Reds, they had a great, fantastic radio network back in the 40s, 50s. Wade Hoyt played with Babe Ruth, was an announcer. Uh, and up until 
you know, till now, but in, during the Big Red Machine era, they had a radio network in five states. Uh, people aren't listening to radio in that form as much anymore. They're all listening to NPR. Right. If you want to join our conversation today, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or one 285 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Uh, Bruce Schumacher has been affiliated with the uh, Indianapolis Indians in one way or another for a long, really long time because his, his father, Max. Um, what was Max's role there, Bruce? What is it now, or how did he start? Well, how did he start? He he uh, was a ticket manager for the Indians uh, right out of the Army in January of 1957. And then he... Uh, he had attended Butler University, went uh-huh. in the Army, and then was hired as a ticket manager. And then how did his career progress? Well, they the Indians back then were a fairly hand-to-mouth situation. I think there were maybe three full-time employees. And uh, and they said, well, Max, could you think he could do the the duties of publicity director as well? And he goes, well, I don't see any reason why not. I was a journalism major at Butler, so I can certainly do that. And uh, so, and then down the road, the the general manager left, and uh, and he was uh, promoted to general manager in the the '60s, and uh, you know, along the line, became president and chairman and. Uh, has been there ever since. Mm-hmm. You know, his his name is pretty much synonymous with the Indianapolis Indians. Sarah might not know that because she she's a Cincinnati person too. But <laughs> uh, right. so how has how has life uh, you know in the the minor leagues AAA changed over the years in in Indianapolis? And I know you're kind of landlocked there between all these major league cities. So Indy's probably never going to get a major league baseball team. So how how's life in the AAA changed? Life in AAA is really good. You know, we played at Bush Stadium on West 16th Street, about uh, three miles east of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, for from 1932 to July of 1996, before moving downtown to Victory Field uh, on July 11th of 96. And uh, the upsurge in the popularity of minor league baseball was already uh, starting to hit. I think not only in Indianapolis but around the country uh, in the 80s and 90s. And then when we got the beautiful downtown ballpark. Uh, it really took off for us, and uh, you know we we ended up leading minor league baseball in attendance uh, this past year. Uh, and there's like 120, 130 teams in all of minor league baseball, so we're really proud of that. Uh, it's it just, uh, I think people appreciate the the affordable nature of it. Uh, we talk about providing affordable, memorable family fun. Uh, that's that's really what we're about, and. Uh, while we don't have a major league team, I think we certainly have a, a, a very strong niche in the community. All right, we're getting a couple of phone calls uh, already, so let's go to Owen on the phone. Owen, thanks, Bob. Sure. Um, even though there's this, this all this excitement about the Cubs, and we'll leave aside the fact that I'm a lifelong White Sox fan. Um, in general, baseball is no longer the national pastime. Uh, is that a trend that's likely to continue? All right, who wants to who wants to try that one? Well, the the NFL looked like it was on top of the world about three or four years ago. I remember pieces on why how could it get any better? Well, they're they're suffering a little bit now. I don't know if it's a combination of some of the uh, uh, goofballs doing bad things, breaking laws, or it just peaked out. But and the concussion thing at the lower levels. I heard this year a lot of high schools are having trouble fielding teams, and so. 
Um, so football, who knows? A, a series like this, I think, can really uh, help spread the interest in it. And it's if people take it as it is and just you know put your social media down for a second. And the other night, I was sitting with my daughter on a couch, and we were enjoying the first game and having a conversation. We would kind of shut up when something would happen or when Schwarber was up. And I think if people, uh, and we'll probably go through this, go through a relaxation period where you put your social media down, baseball's that kind of game, whereas the others. And you got to say, uh, real quickly, uh, the NBA basketball with this virtual reality thing that's coming on, you can sit on your couch and actually be in a front row seat, and it'll feel and seem like it. And that may turn things upside down for basketball because it's kind of an intimate sport. Chris and uh, Chris first, and then Bruce. I mean, you're both involved with promoting baseball and and uh, in the baseball business. So, how would you react to Owen's comment? You know, I think that when you look at the minor league level, especially um, at least here in South Bend, there's been a resurgence of baseball. You know, the you can trace back the history of South Bend baseball to the 1860s, and then. You know, the, from 1930s to the 1950s, you had the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League with the South Bend Blue Sox, and now uh, former South Bend White Sox to Silverhawks to Cubs. You know, there's been a resurgence, um, and obviously part of that is the Cubs, but another part of it is the entertainment that's provided. Um, at a minor league level, you can't always bank on a player or someone that's going to be coming to um, your stadium with a high level of, uh, of a baseball prowess. So you have to f- try to find other ways to bring people in. And, and one of those ways is through promotions. Uh, Bill Veck was uh, a guy that was amazing at promoting baseball and not just baseball itself, but the, the spectacle of it. And that's, I think, from a, a minor league standpoint, you try to get people interested. It's not just about the baseball, but it's about the fun zone that you have to entertain the kids. It's about the hitting facility that you have uh, for people to come out and hit, and hit on their own. It's the community atmosphere that you create. It's the Star Wars night. It's all those different types of promotions that bring people out to support your community. Maybe not necessarily about baseball, but again, being a Cubs affiliate in South Bend has certainly helped us. But I think, uh, you know, from a national pastime perspective, you know, it's going to continue to rise. Um, the NFL has their own issues. Every sport has their own issues. But I think if you look at it in the long term, uh, baseball is certainly on the rise. Bruce? No, I, I think Chris said that really well, and, and he mentioned Bill Beck, so I'll mention one little tidbit. Uh, the ivy on the on the Wrigley Field walls was actually inspired by the ivy on the walls of the 16th Street Ballpark in Indianapolis. Uh, Bill Beck w- was entrusted by Mr. Wrigley to come up with ways to make Victory Field more uh, outdoorsy, which is kind of funny because, of course, it was outdoors, but woodsy and, and, and that and all that. And uh, and Bill Veck had, had been in the, the ballpark in Indianapolis and seen the ivy on the walls. And he asked Mr. Wrigley, what do you think about that? And Mr. Wrigley says, that sounds great. Make it so. And uh, so a funny story about that. So uh, Mr. Wrigley wasn't much on the details, and, and he just assumed that since he'd ordered it, that it would just be, that ivy would magically be growing up the walls a week later. And uh, so he invited some of his buddies in for the Cubs' last homestand of that season to show off his brand-new ivy. And uh, told Bill, he goes, how's that ivy doing? He goes, well, I haven't even ordered it yet. We were going to do it in the off season and let it grow up in the fall, and by next summer it would probably be pretty nice. And Mr. Rick said, well, i got these guys coming. It needs to be up. <laughs> so Bill Beck and the ground crew worked all night to plant ivy uh, ahead of this, these guys coming in and planted bittersweet around it to kind of fill in to make it look better in the short term, uh, knowing that over time ivy would crowd out the bittersweet. So 
Mr. Wrigley got his show uh, for his buddies and Wrigley Field uh, because of what Bill Beckett's in Indianapolis is that ivy on the walls all these years. That, that's a great story. You know, I was going to tell you, uh, uh, a lot of dealing with kids every day here at IU, and this I taught five years at journalism school, media school, whatever you call it now, and um, at Kelly, and it's most of the kids, young people, you talk about baseball, they think it's too boring. I don't. I love it. I love it. Boring is good. I always told my kids, boring is good. Uh, but they think it's too slow. And I even heard some complaints this year from announcers saying the pitchers are taking too long to throw it and all that. But, but I hope it has a resurgence. You know, a lot of inner city athletes, they think it's too boring. In uh, South America, you know, they love it. And I was in South Korea last year, and they're like, they got these you know, really cheering big in the stands and going crazy about it, kind of like Cubs fans are doing now <laughs> and Indian fans. So I hope the best for it. But, you know, there is a gap there. With kids, when we were kids, we could. Uh, you want to play baseball? You get a bunch of kids in the neighborhood. You get your bat, your ball. You go out to the field. You you don't see any kids getting a bat and ball and going out to the field playing baseball. You rarely, even these days, it's even basketball. So AAU dominated. Kids are playing organized inside of that. So yeah, different time. What we have tried to contribute to to what you talk about is is kind of the gap, especially the, in the African American community of. It kids growing up and not thinking about baseball as maybe being their game uh here in indianapolis where we were work with an organization called rbi which is reviving baseball in the inner cities and an annual event for our staff is to take about 35 of us out and rehab uh, a couple of fields that those kids play on and uh, our groundskeeper who really knows what he's doing and he's got the equipment and the rest of us just do what we're told but uh at the end of the day uh we've got some pretty nice fields for those kids so that's that's our little piece, hopefully, in, uh, in, in giving young people a little nicer place to play than, than they would have had. Owen, any follow-up? Uh, the only thing I would say after the comment about Bill Beck in Chicago, um, Bill Beck, wherever he is up there now, must be really enjoying this because um, he was uh, at Cleveland when the Indians won the series in 48. Mm-hmm. You can't have too many people. Um, associated with baseball teams that had to wait that long. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Thanks a lot for the call, Owen. We, we appreciate it. All right. 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. And uh, we have another phone call, and it's Bill from Bloomington. Bill? Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I just want to relate a quick story. Lifetime long-suffering Cubs fan. Uh, in 1984, I had the opportunity to go to the World Series, and it was ended up being Detroit against the Padres. But my good friend, Bruce Schumacher, got me some tickets, and I went up with Bruce. <laughs> and if you remember, in 84, the Cubs were one game away from going to the World Series and couldn't pull it off. I, 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 I definitely remember that series, and, uh, and the, the Padres came and, and won that last game. I was actually watching it with some Cubs and friends in Indianapolis, and uh, yes, I remember it very well, as well as as the trip to Detroit. All right. Well, we were sitting underneath the press box, just slightly down the first baseline, and I had my Cubs hat on, I'm a fan, and I caught Vin Scully's eye, and he pointed to his head like my hat, and I kind of shrugged my shoulders, and he snapped his fingers. So Vin, Vin was for him, too. All right. Vin Scully, of course, retired this year after his, his last game with the Dodgers at yeah. age 89, I believe. Something like that. Maybe even – no, I think it was – you're right. It was 89. He didn't do the playoffs, but 
Right. Uh, he was there to the end. You mentioned the 84 series. It pops in my head that there was a Southern Indiana guy played for Detroit that year, Scotty Earl. He got to really? got, he didn't get to play in the series. He got to play down the stretch, and the team voted him in the World Series. I think he's in Indianapolis today. All right. Hey, Bill, thanks a lot for that story. All right. Hey, hi, Bruce. <laughs> Bruce, <laughs> Bill, he's... take care. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot for the, uh, that call. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we're talking about um, baseball's place in Indiana, and, uh, of course, the Cubs are now in the World Series. If you want to join our conversation, 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at WFIUNews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with WFIU, WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. We're joined by three guests today as we talk about uh, baseball with the World Series uh, game tonight in Wrigley Field in Chicago. Chris Hagstrom-Jones is Director of Creative Services and Promotions for the South Bend Cubs. Bruce Schumacher is the Vice President of Corporate Affairs for the Indianapolis Indians. And Marty Pirat is lecturer at the Kelly School of Business and author uh, and the author of First Black Red, the story of Chuck Harmon, the first African-American to play for the Cincinnati Reds. If you want to join the program, 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Chris, you were talking a little bit earlier just about all of the things that you do with the community, but I'm just wondering if you can just speak maybe a little bit more generally about how just having the team there has really helped South Bend. Well, you know, there was actually a time when South Bend baseball was about to disappear. Um, there was, in 2005, there was a lot of talk of moving the team from South Bend to Marion, Illinois, uh, which that team ended up becoming an independent league team. But, um, you know, former Governor Joe Kernan put together a group of investors that would keep the team in the area. And unfortunately, they fell in some hard times. Um, you know, it takes a lot to run a baseball team. And uh, if you're not familiar with the side of baseball business, it can be incredibly difficult, and so an investor by the name of Andrew Berlin, who owns a packaging company, Berlin Packaging in Chicago, purchased the team in, in what he felt was a very, uh, a very important day, a very important time on November 11, 2011, at 11.11 a.m. He felt that was a very lucky number, and it ter turned out to be an incredibly lucky number. In those five seasons that Andrew purchased the team, the, 
uh, attendance has, has gone up and been on the rise. Um, but it's such a community aspect now. We see a lot of people coming out to our ball club that don't necessarily watch the game. They're coming out here, they'll sit in their seats, they'll talk with their friends. You know, you'll see some people take their phones out, and I love the conversation about just putting the phone down and watching the game. You know, that's something that we, you know, we of course encourage social media use, but you don't see a whole lot of that during the game here. You see a lot of people sitting and chatting with their friends or enjoying a hot dog. Um, it really has become a community event, There's, and there actually is a development going on outside the ballpark that's going to break ground in December this year of building a new apartment complex with shops, and that's something that downtown South Bend is desperately needed. We're more people to move downtown. They have apartment complexes that are being renovated right now, and this development is going to help just add to downtown South Bend. And, and kind of on a side note of that, uh, 10 years ago, it was something you didn't want to walk in downtown South Bend. It was uh, you know, a very crime-ridden area. You didn't walk at night. Uh, since then, it's been a huge resurgence. You know, people are moving back to downtown. Um, it's a beautiful area. Shops are opening up. And um, you know, the city has made a huge turnaround when you look back at where what, you know, just 10 years ago when Studebaker uh, went out of business in the 60s, you know, in, in uh, one of the Rust Belt uh, cities, uh, tenants would earn um, Rather, the population was dwindling, people were moving out. But again, you have this resurgence, this renaissance district, um, and part of it is, is in part to having a team that would invest in the community. So uh, we're very, very thankful to be a part of this community, that the community has come out and supported us, and in turn, we're going to support them as well. I think when you talk about the importance of, of baseball in the state, I mean, it really does go well beyond um, just the sport and the game. And I think, Chris, what you were talking about, I'm going to mention a couple of other things, and I really like you, your reaction and Bruce's reaction. But you know, I went to a game earlier this uh, year in Fort Wayne, and they have a similar situation to South Bend. They have the 10 caps. They have a park downtown. They have a hotel that's right next to it. They have uh, retail that's right next to it, and it's been a resurgence down there. I know I've heard Joe Wren talk to the mayor of Kokomo about the new baseball park in downtown Kokomo. There's a team in Terre Haute uh, that – is uh, I think in an independent league and baseball. I mean, a lot of community, and I could even cite Bloomington with the new uh, Bart Kaufman Field has created a whole different feel about IU baseball. So it's it's such a uh, it's a different kind of game, and it attracts all sorts of people. And I guess Bruce and and Chris, I just want you to react to to that idea that baseball is sort of a common denominator for a lot of people. Well, I think it is, and, and uh, you know, I I was kind of foolish, young and, and dumb when I first started with the Indians. I kind of assumed that everybody that would come to an Indians game would be a big baseball fan. Well, there there certainly is that component, but as, as Chris talked about, and you know, there are a lot of people who just enjoy being at the game with friends. And if you're outdoors and in a nice atmosphere on a nice summer night, and you know, maybe there's some goofy promotion going on in the field between innings with people, you know, spinning around bats or just all the the spectacle of it, and, uh, and and the slower pace of it, you know, that sometimes is criticized, allows you to to have conversations with people, and and, and I think uh, makes it uh, for more of a intimate situation with friends that way. You know, I, I like um, I like what Bruce has talked about again with the the entertainment and the fun that you have out there, um, and not to mention, you know, I know the Indianapolis Indians have a lot of great community programs. Um, as do the South Bend Cubs, not just the charitable or, you know, donations, but it's the you know, ability to help raise funds for great programs uh, like boys and girls clubs, um, you know, homeless shelters, uh, and teams like to find ways to 
give back to the community um, that uh, you know they give so much to the baseball team. You have Boy Scout nights, Girl Scout nights, the mascots that can go out and make appearances, help with fundraising, uh, and that's another fun aspect I think of of baseball um, are, are the mascots. You know, they get to to be the cuddly, soft creatures that kind of roam the stadiums and take photos with fans. They get to be a little silly as well. So um, it's it's not just about the baseball, like like uh, Bruce has said. It's about that community aspect, being able to give back, um, and I think that's what continues to draw people to minor league baseball and you know to the major league level as well. The Chicago Cubs have a great organization with Cubs Charities. Anthony Rizzo is has been known. It's not just Anthony Rizzo though, but John Lester and Kyle Schwarber. How much they give back to the community through um, you know the cancer research funds, uh, their charitable organizations. Uh, and so a lot of money, I don't even, I wish I knew a dollar amount, but how much money baseball raises for those types of programs you know, is, is obviously in the millions. And, and that's just another aspect of baseball. I want to also ask Marty about, uh, you know, baseball's place in, in history. I mean, more than any other sport, I think baseball has a place in, in U.S. history. We talk about Jackie Robinson a lot. I mean, Jackie Robinson day in Major League Baseball, everybody wears a number 42, and, and he really broke the color barrier and is a huge uh, figure in our uh, racial history here. And you wrote a book about Chuck Harmon. Can you give us just a little synopsis of Chuck Harmon's uh, entry into the game? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, baseball's, the, the history of it is something else, and it's so old compared to everything else, the other sports. You know, they were starting to play it during the Civil War, 1861 to 65, brought it back. You see the old newspapers, they call it baseball with a sep- two words and all that. Chuck's story uh, is tremendous because, you know, he won two state championships in basketball and at Washington, but he couldn't play at any of the Indiana major colleges. He wanted to go to IU. IU wouldn't take African-American players then, although give it IU credit soon after that, they became the first Big Ten team that would. But... Chuck came along as, I think, the seventh uh, black Major League Baseball player. He went to Toledo, uh, and then he started playing minor leagues, and the Reds uh, brought him up. So he played during the day. He was friends with Jackie Robinson. He told me that he would tell his wife, the the Dodgers are in town, Uh, Jackie may be coming over for dinner because maybe he couldn't stay where he wanted to elsewise. And to be able to uh, meet and know somebody like that's been a thrill. He's now one of the oldest living players around. I think Chuck's about 91, still lives in Cincinnati. But it's always been a part of our history, and I defy anybody to look at a movie like uh, 42 about Jackie and not not feel something and feel like uh, baseball pushed us along, pushed us along, you know. Recently, uh, President Obama told Anthony Bourdain on his show they were having a beer in Vietnam, of all places, and Anthony Bourdain said, are we, are we going to be okay? <laughs> and President Obama said, yeah, progress is not a straight line. It kind of goes sideways. It'll go back a little bit, but keep on going. I would say that what's happened in baseball has helped us come along. And, in fact, it hit me that, you know, Major League Baseball probably ought to start a women's baseball league. That would get kids going, and like they do the WNBA. I can see people going to... Uh, that like uh, they do the WNBA now. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's great in our history. I think all of you now have mentioned at some point Kyle Schwarber. I feel like we should we should talk about him and how he's going to be remembered now in, in Cubs history, the, his influence here in Bloomington, and now 
I mean, he was still supposed to be injured right now, right? Right. right. What's going on? <laughs> right. Well, Bruce, you want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, you're very close to guys who are, you know, a lot of guys who are playing in Major League Baseball now since they were in Indy. No, I, I think it's remarkable. I mean, I, I'm an IU graduate, actually, a, a graduate of the School of Business back before it was the Kelly School of Business. Oh, excellent. But, so I've, I, I've enjoyed the resurgence in, in Indiana University baseball. But but what Schwarber ha, has done uh, to, to be hurt like he was early in the season and, uh, you know, a rehab that they had said ought to take eight months, well, he ended up making it take six. and. And I'll have to admit, I was skeptical hearing about him playing in the Arizona Fall League. I mean, playing in the Arizona Fall League is fine, but it's not like playing in the World Series. Uh, and, and I thought, well, maybe they're rushing him back, you know. And uh, so, you know, let alone the, the physical healing, but, but the timing that's required to hit a baseball uh, is, is the, arguably the toughest skill in sports. And to, to shake that rust off and work as hard as he obviously did uh, is a remarkable story. Uh, I, I understand that they're not going to push the envelope too far. They've decided that he's, he's not really ready to play the outfield. Uh, I think that's wise. Uh, the, the truth about him is he's not a great fielder anyway. His bat is, is what makes him remarkable. And to put him when he's not maybe 100% physically in the, in the field, I think would have been a mistake. But now he's going to be lurking there uh, as the dangerous pinch hitter uh, in a key situation in the game for these next three games in Chicago, and should the series last long enough to shift back to Cleveland, then he can DH again. Yeah, you know, if you look back at uh, at, at Kyle Schwarber back at Indiana, um, he played in 180 games, hit 341, and for those that may not know baseball statistics, that's that's very very good to be hitting over 300 uh, consistently through your college years. And in 2014, when he was drafted by the Cubs. Um, he ended up playing for three of their minor league teams, their low-A team, or excuse me, their rookie league team, their low-A team, and then the high-A team. So he shot right through um, Class A baseball. Uh, and then in 2015, he played for Tennessee, which is the double-A team, Iowa, which is the triple-A team. And then he debuted uh, for the Cubs in 2015 with 69 games played. So, I mean, Kyle Schwarber has been a phenom and I think just being able to come back from an injury like this within six months is just going to add to his, his legendary status. You look back in 2015, the Schwarber ball that he did a skyrocket out of right field and landed on top of the video board. It was so iconic that they left the ball on top of the video board and encased it. So no you know, drone or anybody could pop up there and grab the baseball. So it was... Um, I think his legend is going to continue to grow from this point. You know, I I, I uh, have a house over close to the baseball stadium, and, and I think Schwarber put two or three in my yard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't encase him had I known. Uh, I don't know how he got away from Cincinnati. He grew up outside of Cincinnati, right. Middletown. But during that glory glorious run we had a few years ago with Schwarber, you know, there's not that many fans, fans come out, even if it's full. What is it, 3,000 or something? But uh, he was so nice to meet me my daughter let us take some pictures you know a little goodness and decency goes a long way these days right and and schwarber he just seems like the all-american kid he seems good and decent and wearing that little bracelet in honor of a, a sick kid boy we need somebody like kyle schwarber we're darn proud <laughs> that I, he's from here yeah i should put in a little plug for a story we had in the paper this morning about schwarber's relationship with a 10 year old 
uh, from Phoenix, Arizona, anywhere is this orange uh, wristband. It's written by David Haw, who uh, used to be a South Bend Tribune reporter, and now he's at the Chicago Tribune. So he uh, he wrote about Schwarber, and and he did uh, you know he is one of those one of those all American guys, I guess you'd say, playing the. It, it, it sure uh, seems like, and uh, uh, we hope his success continues. All right. If you want to give us a call and talk about uh, the Cubs, baseball in Indiana, any any uh, anything about baseball today, 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. And you can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Um, Marty talked about the idea of having a, you know, a women's professional baseball league. And, of course, there was a great movie about women's professional baseball, a league of their own. And it has an Indiana history because it was shot in Evansville, I believe, down in Evansville. And I know there was a movie shot in Indianapolis, too. Was that shot at Victory Field? The old Victory Field, Bruce? Yes, Eight Men Out was shot at, at, at the old Victory Field, which was Bush Stadium at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it actually, they they dressed it up so it, it functioned as the Chicago ballpark, and then they took a break and uh, of a few days and changed things around and made it look like the, the Cincinnati ballpark. It was, it was an interesting experience. I was actually the liaison between the Indians and the movie people to try to give them what they needed but make sure that at the end of the day we got the ballpark back the way it was before. Right. And right. and maybe the scariest thing was we was they needed to take down a, a couple of light towers that would have been in a shot and because there were no lights in either ballpark in 1919. And you know those those light towers had been in place a long time and sometimes when you move something like that uh, you know and disturb it maybe it doesn't go back as well as it did before. And uh, I can still remember one of the huge light towers going by on a flatbed in the parking lot thinking my goodness i certainly hope we can get that back the way it was before but it was an interesting experience uh you know met a few of the people involved with it i'll I'll never this is how long ago it's been uh john cusack who played buck weaver in that movie the third baseman on the the white Sox team uh i I met him he he goes where's the best place close to here to buy a vcr a vcr (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. That's been a few years. Isn't there yeah, a, a trail in Evansville area with between all the little ballparks down? Well, I know that old ballpark. I was working for the Evansville Press and um, in the sports department there, and that old ballpark was there then. I don't know if it is. I don't know about the trails, but I think they do a trail that runs between oh, ballparks cool. in the southern parts. I mean, when I that's first great. moved here, that was what I knew about Indiana. So I drove down and saw the ballpark and. <laughs> So, you know, the field that you guys are talking about is Bossy Field. It's actually yes. the home of the Evansville Otters, yeah. the, uh, the independent league team. But it is still there. It is uh, almost the exact same as it was uh, years and years ago. But it opened up in 19, uh, 1915, uh, the third oldest ballpark that's still in regular use right now. So it's it has such an old-world charm to it. Well, how, how old's Wrigley? 19 what? Uh, Wrigley was opened in 1916. So okay. 100 years. Right? Okay. Wow. So, Chris and, and Bruce, uh, if you could just expand a little bit and talk about, you know, the this baseball history um, idea and, and what you do with the Indians in Indianapolis and with the, the Cubs in South Bend to sort of um, just keep the history alive. Well, I, I think that's really true. I, you know, it, it was interesting to come into the team in 83 and, and – and then try to see what we had in, in terms of, of history, even if something as simple as like old team pictures. And you, you get past about 1948, and they're, they're really hard to find. And uh, 
so I kind of made it my calling to make sure that we preserved everything we had going forward. And I'd, I'd dig old pictures out of the filing cabinets. That, you know, you'd be surprised how many of them weren't labeled as to who was even in them. So, you know, I knew we had some older people associated with the team and, and Norm Beffley, who had been our PA announcer since back to World War II. Uh, I'd take pictures to him, and he'd go, oh, that's John Jones. And so I'd, I'd write that on the back of the picture, knowing down the road that uh, there'd be no one left around to, to make that kind of identification. So I, I think it's really, really important. Uh, sometimes, it, it, you know, when you're a major league franchise, there's all kinds of people that are keeping track of your history. Uh, if you're an Indianapolis Indians or, or South Bend or Fort Wayne, uh, you've you got to take it a little, I think, a little bit more on yourself to preserve that. Uh, and keep track of it. We, we, we did a book uh, back in 1987 about the first 100 years of Indians baseball uh, that was a, a kind of a labor of love and statistics for all those early years. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's significant. Uh, and what we were a couple of years ago, we were part of a marker that was put close to the Indianapolis Zoo here in Indianapolis uh, where the ballpark before the 16th Street ballpark was. There was actually the Washington Street ballpark that's kind of where the employees park at the zoo now. So all those things are part of your heritage and, and certainly things that we want to be a part of preserving. Yeah, in, in South Bend, there's, um, you know, with that great history of baseball, we try to preserve as much as we can. And, and uh, Bruce is right, as a minor league team, you're on your own to try to preserve that history. And, and there's actually some, some fans that had written a book. Uh, one fan wrote a book about uh, the history of baseball in South Bend. And uh, so that we have that part to try to keep our, our history. And there's a wall of players in South Bend that's uh, the stadium is formerly Stanley Kovaleski Regional Stadium. And so there's actually a wall of historical icons and figures of South Bend baseball. You know, Betsy Sockham Jockham uh, was one of the former players of the All American <laughs> Girls Professional Baseball League. Uh, so she's obviously prominently displayed, as well as Stanley Kovaleski and, and other greats. And, and it, it can get tough, you know, as the years go on, as these these uh, folks that remember these times are not available um, or, or pass on um, to, to remember that history. So you try to cr uh, chronicle it as much as you can. And you look back through archives, we have a great museum, the History Center in South Bend, that has a, a wonderful display of uh, baseball history. But, you know, gradually that stuff starts to fade away unless you preserve it. And uh, we still do our best in South Bend to do so. There's a pretty good history right across the street here, Bob, with the the Jordan Field, uh, the parking lot of the Union was the baseball field. Actually, it was the football field, too. Uh -huh. And you can kind of see the backstop was over by where the chapel's at, and part of the Union wasn't built in. But that was like, you know, they started Jordan Field, like 18-something, and you can still sit back here and see how the field was. And, of course, during World War II, uh, when the, they mandated that base, baseball teams had to have spring training close, the Reds were there, and that's where they saw – IU football great Ted Klazuski, and he turned out to be a great player. But you got to look under, there's a bush, and you look under the bush in front, and there's a, a big rock there. It says Jordan Field, where IU used to play baseball. No idea. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, we have a phone call. Oh, we have, let's go to the phone real quick. Drew from Bloomington is on the phone. Drew? Hi. I just wanted to defend Kyle Schwarber's fielding ability. Uh, we saw him in the Super Regionals at Bark Hoffman, and that guy has a rocket arm. So mm -hmm. from, he was playing left. He was catching and playing left. And from left field, he got that ball in so fast, so hot. I would hate to catch that ball. <laughs> yeah, I think that series he was catching two games and playing left field one, I think, so he could play the whole time or whatever. That's that's what he did that year, I think. 
Yeah. And, uh, I, w- I went to the concession stand to get some treats, and I, I heard this crack, and I'm going, what the- who hit that? And it, it was him put- putting one out, and I think that was when Travis played, too. Yes. Both those mm-hmm. guys could just really jack the ball. It was, it was amazing, and uh, it's just a great memory. Um, that That is such a good facility, uh, Bart Kaufman. Yeah, so Sam Travis was a player with um, – with Kyle Schwarber, and he's in the Red Sox organization now and probably will be in the majors at some point, not too distant future. It was a completely different sound when those guys made contact with the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a loud crack. And uh, Eight Men Out was a great experience for my family. My brother was in uh, Eight Men Out as an extra, so he traveled up to uh, the Bush Stadium. And uh, um, so it's neat. You can see him for about three seconds in the <laughs> film. And it's really a good portrayal. That's uh, a great director that made that film. Bob, before I yeah, forget John, John Sales ahead. was outstanding. John Sales did that movie? Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he's the director. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, before I forget about it, uh, uh, Tom Ricketts was here about four or five weeks ago, owner of the Cubs. And he was brought in by uh, my bosses, Dr. K, over at uh, Management and Entrepreneurship. He does that with Tim Baldwin over there. But uh, Ricketts came in, and he talked to all the kids, and he was so super. And the business kids loved it because he talked about big data and analytics and the farm system and how he's done all that. It was so super, and he got to meet him, nice guy, and he brought all the kids these Cubs pins. So you can't help root for a guy that's trying to build an organization like Ricketts is. Right. Okay. And, you know, that's a great part. I'm glad you brought that up, Marty, about the um, the, the family and, and the team. They're all about winning, but they understand there's more to baseball than winning as well. You know, it's Theo uh, Epstein's job, the president of baseball operations, to bring a championship to the Chicago Cubs. But just everybody in the organization, you look at Joe Madden, the things that he does, you know, you know he's a kind guy. Uh, Tom Ricketts, an incredibly nice gentleman. He came here, I think it might have been around the same time, uh, about four or five weeks ago when South Bend was in the playoffs. He came out to see the facility in the field and was, you know, he walks through Wrigley Field every game just to shake hands with the fans, talk to the fans. You know, very rare do you see um, a chairman like that that will take time to go through and, and walk and talk to not just the folks in the suites, but also the fans in the stands. Um, it's a common pr- uh, practice that he does. So it's up and down the organization. They, they look for the right people, the friendly people to, to do business right. All right. Thanks a lot for your call, Drew. If you have a quick call, 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. Also, we had a caller wondering if there are any viewing parties in Bloomington tonight. We don't know. I'm sure there are a lot of places that will have television. Was it Rags over at Nick's, runs Nick's? So you can guarantee he's going to make sure there's a lot of Cubs fans there tonight. <laughs> That's right. That's for sure. There'll be a lot of places like that. So for all the Cubs fans, what you know, part of the intrigue is this idea of this curse. So what happens if they win and they break the curse? All Billy Goats will be in question. Well, but it's kind of like the Red Sox, right? I mean, so many people loved the Red Sox because they couldn't win. And, and now that if, if the Cubs do, then is it just not as interesting? I don't know. It's a pretty good story about the Billy Goat. I'm sure Bob wants to yeah, talk oh, about no, it for an hour no, or two. Right. <laughs> Bruce and Chris, okay, so you're, you know, you're, you've got your team and they've had this long, lovable loser label and they've lost for 108 years in a row. Um you know, is it a bad thing if they win, Bruce? Well, I, no, I don't think it's a bad thing. 
I, I, you'll never get me to say winning in a baseball setting is a bad <laughs> Right, right. Uh, no, I, I, think, I think it's only going to, you know, they're interesting because a lot of teams that lose have popularity issues. To them, it only made them more uh, identifiable, I guess, more lovable. But I think all, you know, winning brings fans in anyway, so I think they'll have the people that stuck with them through thick and thin, plus people who may have, have joined the bandwagon at a later date. They probably have that right now. That, that's right. I think it'd be great if it goes seven games. I mean, you got to think about Cleveland and how they've turned around this so-called mistake on the lake, and then they have got the NBA thing with LeBron. And it'd be great if it goes seven games, ninth inning, and then Schwarber hits a home run to win it. Right. Right. <laughs> there you go. Uh, in the last two minutes, Bruce, I want to ask you about um, you know baseball in Indianapolis. I think a, a lot of people probably. Do wonder, you know, about the possibility of a major league team. Um, you know, the, it's a home of the Colts, home of the Pacers. It's been a long time home of the Indianapolis Indians in AAA. I did hear a presentation from Jeff Smullian uh, from MS Broadcasting, part owner of the uh, Seattle Mariners, at some point talk about how Indy's probably not going to have major league baseball in the future. Could you just uh, react to that. You know why is why is Indianapolis not such a major league baseball um, target? I think there's a couple of things. I, you mentioned earlier that, that uh, it's landlocked with uh, Cincinnati and Chicago and St. Louis in such close proximity. So we Indianapolis would be kind of impinging on their markets. Uh, you, you know, and I and I think as expensive as major league sports is now with the the cost of of uh, premium areas and suite levels and you know as a corporate community I, I think there's only so much will to go to and if you figure that people have got suites at, at the colts games and suites at the pacers games and maybe suites at the indianapolis motor speedway uh you know i, I think that i don't think that money is limitless so I, I think to introduce a third team into a market our size also would be challenging from that perspective okay Art and Gotti Thank tried you. it in '84 with right. the Indianapolis Arrows. I say, let's let's do it again. Let's try it again. Come on, bring it on. All right, Marty's going to write the first check, I think, <laughs> for you. All right, we have we have uh, we yeah we have less than a minute to go. I think uh, we're going to have to close out the program. But I, I want to thank all of you guys, Chris Hagstrom-Jones from South Bend Cubs and Bruce Schumacher from the Indianapolis Indians and Marty Pirat from the uh, Kelly School uh, and a big Reds fan. Thank you for all, all for being here today. And for uh, Sarah Whitmire and Drew Dodlin and Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu. And Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.